What up, G's? It's Trevor here from We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. I am back again with another collection of films that I own that I haven't watched yet. So it's been a little while. Haven't watched as many films. Haven't had the spare time in the past month or so to watch as many films. But I have now watched four films which I selected at random from my pot and watched and then give my views. So I will play back my recordings from the past month and then at the end I will regroup here and we will choose which one was my favourite film of the month. So see you at the end. Cheers! Okay, so back here again. Should we choose another title? Oh, knocking them everywhere. Let's have a dig deep. Get one. Got one. So today we are going to watch 10 starring Dudley Moore, isn't it? And Bo Derek. Let me just find this one. 10. On a laughter scale, Blake Edwards' 10, a spicy comedy of manners, morales and midlife crisis, hits the top. It's a film of many moods, sometimes sexy, sometimes thoughtful and sometimes slapstick, but always on target. That target is 42-year-old composer George Webber, Dudley Moore, a man who has everything and who may chuck it all in in an obsessive quest for a beautiful woman, Bo Derek. He glimpses en route to her wedding. With ten, Moore began a series of hit comedies that made him an audience favourite. As George's patient girlfriend, Julie Andrews, returns to the movies after a long absence. For many, ten's hottest star remains Derek, with whom George rates at least a twelve. Moviegoers rated her a wow, and ten launched her as the first big sex star of the 80s. Ooh, sex star bit of a weird phrase but another thing is certain in 10 the director of breakfast at tiffany's days of wine and roses and seven successful pink panthers has created one of the richest most fully realized works well i never actually knew that blake edwards directed breakfast at tiffany's you learn something new every day anyway that was the write-up for 10 dudley moore Bo derrick blake edwards okay so I'll stick that on and I'll meet you afterwards and I'll let you know exactly, exactly what I think about it. Thank you very much. Cheers and please. Okay, 10. So this was the start of Cuddly Dudley and his Hollywood persona. I remember reading somewhere once that um, the director, Blake Edwards, I think he was married to Julie Andrews and she was sort of insistent that Dudley Moore was wrong for the role and he was insistent that he was right and uh, proved you know when it was a great success the film proved otherwise but was it a great success because Dudley Moore was in it or because there is a lot of scantily clad women and uh, a lot of naked Bo Derek? it makes you wonder why people went to the cinema that's all I'm saying so this was the 70s anyway um, and the film sort of put me in mind of a film that came out sort of several years later uh, Gene Wilder's Woman in Red with Kelly LeBrock. A similar sort of story, a, a bloke who becomes obsessed with a younger woman. That was more slapstick, and even though this is slapstick, that, that one was more more full-on comedy. This is quite a, sort of a dramatic role. It starts off sort of a bit humorous, 
slightly dramatic as Dudley Moore. It's his birthday. You realise he's a bit depressed. And then he's, as he's driving home, it's, it's really strange watching it now because we have such different perceptions and ideologies these days. It was a bit strange watching him doing his driving scene where he's just ogling women. He's sort of ogling all these young girls as he's driving along. And then he sees Bo Derek on her wedding day in her car in a wedding dress. And he's smitten straight away and he starts to stalk her into her wedding. And you just think, what part of him would really like go, oh, I've probably got a chance with this girl here on her wedding day. It just seems a bit strange, but he gets quite obsessed and he feels that he needs a younger woman and he's sort of keeping Julie Andrews. She's his girlfriend. She's She realises he's going through this. So there's a little bit of friction between the two of them and they're both from show business. Dudley Moore, actually, his character, George, is a musician and he's famous. Everyone recognises him and he sort of works in like a partnership with a lyricist who writes lyrics to George's songs who's openly homosexual which in this sort of time of blockbuster mainstream cinema was quite rare to have a homosexual character not be in the butt of jokes you know it's quite a serious role even though Dudley does call him fag and other derogatory terms but it's it's sort of like harmless banter between friends you know this was a time when people was on the verge of acceptance of all these different sexual attitudes but not yet censored so um more it's a bit sleazy that he's got a telescope in his back garden that he watches across the valley at this other bloke who has like lots of promiscuous relationships and and, and actually he watches back to Dudley Moore's as well you see them sort of back and forth with them spying on each other but this telescope leads to a deep conversation that he has about sexual deviancy and wards and hookers with um, Julie Andrews, which is strange because, you know, this is Mary Poppins who's talking sexy. But Dudley Moore becomes obsessed with Bo Derek's character and he's doing a bit of sleuth work, trying to find out where she is and where he can find her. And this is where the film sort of gets into the comedy section, gets a bit more comical. There's some funny scenes here, like where he goes to see the vicar of the wedding and the vicar's housekeeper is like this really old divering woman who's bringing the teas to serve them and Dudley Moore is in conversation with the vicar but can see that the the woman's trying to walk into the fireplace and you know then it becomes from here more farcical he finds out that the girl's dad is a dentist he goes to see the dentist and then he ends up having a load of work done and he's drunk and he's on tablets and you start to see I mean one of my favorite Dudley Moore films is Arthur and one of my favorite drunks is Dudley Moore as Arthur. I mean, now you've got Jim Leahy from Trailer Park Boys, but back then, the best drunk I can remember watching was Dudley Moore. And he's setting it up here. He's playing the drunk, but it becomes, very quickly, the comedy becomes corny, and very farcical, and, yeah, the film has this really strange middle section where Dudley Moore's character is just sort of a hapless has-been, and it became less realistic through that part. You know, it sort of lost, it lost me a bit. Um, but then he finds out that Bo Derek is down in Mexico, so he goes down there. He befriends the barman, young Brian Dennehy, and he has an, an unsuccessful affair with Dee Wallace, who is the mother at VT, who's another guest at the hotel. 
her character's quite sort of forlorn and melancholic and sort of brings the story back to more of a drama. The end, actually, of this film does become a lot more thoughtful, a, a dramatic resolution. His pursuit of Bo Derek pays off when he rescues her husband and then while the husband is in hospital Dudley Moore and Bo Derek sort of get together and I'm glad to say that it was sort of hapless as it was happening but you can believe Dudley Moore going through the motions of questioning what they're doing and questioning her sort of integrity and the end and the beginning felt a lot better than the middle bit just felt a bit too far into Corny's 70s comedy. But to be honest, I'm feeling a bit rough today. I ain't feeling too good. And I've just had an afternoon. I thought, wow, I'm going to watch a film. And it's been the perfect curl up on the sofa and just watch an easy film film. So yeah, I have enjoyed it. It perhaps didn't need to be two hours long. Seems quite long for this type of film. And perhaps not too silly in the middle. But apart from that, yeah, wasn't a bad film. That was 10. Okay, here I go again. Another title. Got my box. Open up. Okay. What have I got here? Fanboys. Fanboys. Okay, so fanboys. Fanboys. Alright, fanboys. Right, this is the film about the uh, mates who go and watch Star Wars Episode 1, I think. So have a look. Absolute hilarity. Get ready for the comedy adventures that's smart, funny and tailor-made for the inner Jedi in all of us. In 1998, four childhood buddies with a shared love of all things Star Wars reunite for one final hilarious odyssey. Their insane plan, a cross-country road trip to storm George Lucas's Skywalker Ranch and steal a copy of Episode 1 before its release. With the police, a crew of angry Trekkies and a crazy pimp hot on their trail... What Could Possibly Go Wrong? Featuring Dan Fogler, Balls of Fury, Jay Peruchel, Tropic Thunder and Kristen Bell. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Plus, a slew of historical surprise cameos. The force is strong with this one. Right, so I used to be a bit of a Star Wars fan. So this could go one of two ways. But uh, yeah, from 2015, a bit of easy viewing. Let's do it. Fanboys, 2009, okay? So, this was actually written by Adam Goldberg, who is a producer of the Goldbergs, the comedy series, as well as Ernest Klein, who wrote the novel of Ready Player One. So, there's a little bit of geekery going on in it, uh, but to be honest, it took a long time to sort of get started. And the jokes, they're not really jokes so much as just cheap insults and knob jokes you know it's it's a pretty immature film which started off poor but funnily enough by the end of it I was sort of a bit more involved I did tend to enjoy it a little bit more so it's basically the story of Eric Linus Hutch and Windows who decide that they're going to go and try and steal a first glimpse of uh, 
episode one star wars episode one so from the outset there's lots of star wars quotes and you know they are the biggest fanboys there are so lots of nerdy stuff um the, the chap eric is the more serious character he's he's got himself a job his dad wants him to take over the business and he's got more to lose but he sort of decides at the last minute that he will organize this trip as one last chance because he's become a a bit estranged from his friends and he's sort of fallen out with Linus who's Chris Marquette who basically has been um diagnosed with cancer we find out as well so there's that storyline going on as well the comedy sort of comes from Dan Fogler really as the sort of gross chubby gross bearded one you know um and then he's Hutch and then Windows is the sort of nerdy one who's supposed to have a a girlfriend on the inside who's been chatting to on the internet and then Kristen Bell who you may know from The Good Place the series on Netflix she plays Zoe who is their friend and she joins them later on anyway they got a van uh, which sounds like the Millennium Falcon and it's got hyperspace and all, all these things tie in and they start their quest across and they upset some Trekkies and they meet people along the way. Some of the cast from Star Wars are in there. Billy D. Williams, Carrie Fisher, Seth Rogen's in it a couple of times, uh, most notably as the leader of the, the Star Trek fans where he's got some pretty weird geeky makeup. Looks quite good, quite effective. But yeah, they they sort of upset them, so they're after them as well. So Billy D. Williams, Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher's in there. Um, they also meet up with William Shatner, who actually is the only character, in, or the only one who plays themselves in this. And then by the time they get to Lucasfilm at the end, the, the studio, Skywalker Ranch, I like the way that the, the guards, all the THX guards, out of THX 113 out so it's a bit interesting made it a little bit different but yeah it's pretty basic really it was it was it wasn't a laugh out loud film it's a bit nerdy which you know I, I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan I quite like that I was waiting for the punchline of the film you know to be that it wasn't really worth the effort because of course they are talking about episode one which was really the fanboy's biggest disappointment wasn't it but they didn't use the joke as such but they did end, you know they do end on that joke but we don't get to see them see in the film but we get to see them sort of anxiously sat in the cinema waiting for it to start and then i think it's eric sort of turns and says what if it is rubbish what if it isn't any good which you know it's funny because we all know that's true so seth rogan he also plays uh this c- character uh who's a pimp in las vegas and he's a big star wars fan he's got like tattoos all over him one side is the light side of the force on one arm and one side is the dark side of the force and then on his back it is, is a big tattoo of Jar Jar Binks because he says oh this character's going to be the best so another joke sort of uh, you know a retrospective joke knowing what's coming and just how horrendous it's going to be yeah, that'll do I think don't want to keep going fucking on about it do we hello it's me again. Uh, I've got my pot of 
film titles that I own that I haven't watched yet. So, once again, I'm going to delve in to this ever-growing pile. I bought several films in the last couple of weeks, again, added to it. Some really good titles. But will it be a really good title that comes out? Fingers crossed it is. I've got one. It's The Whistleblower. Right, I think that is a CD disc, free from the newspapers. I think it's a Michael Caine film. Let me just go and find it. All right, I had to pop in the other room to find it. Because I've been relegated to the spare room. Not, not been kicked out of bed or nothing. They're watching oh, Love Island in there. That old crap. So I'm in the uh, drawing room. Anyway, here it is. Whistleblower. I found it. Michael Caine. I was right. Frank Jones, Michael Caine, is an ordinary law-abiding businessman. He served his country during the war. And he is very proud of his son, Bob. Nigel Havers, a Russian linguist and translator. Frank's world is shattered by the arrival of the police to tell him that his son is dead. Accidental death is the verdict at the inquest, and so the plot thickens. The father embarks on his own investigation into his son's death and discovers that there are no limits to what the government will do to protect its secret activities. When he finally unravels the truth, he takes matters into his own hands in a sensational climax. Okay, so Michael Caine. Sometimes he's an over-actor. Not my favourite actor, but I love him in Get Carter. Uh, this sounds a little bit like Get Carter, but obviously he's a bit longer in the tooth for this one. I don't know what year it is. I'll find all those details out later. We're going to stick it on. I'll tell you what I think afterwards. Cheers. Okay, just finished the whistleblower. Um, 19... 87. They're quite an interesting film. Felt a bit like an old British TV movie. That a lot of the cast were classic sort of British TV stage and film stars from well the 80s and before. Uh, it starts off with Michael Caine at the Cenotaph for the Remembrance Day parade, and it's actual uses actual footage of the Queen and Prince Philip which I've, I just found interesting really usually if they do something like that in a film then they'll they'll fake it and have actors and actors portraying them all from a distance but this is definitely actual footage of Remembrance Day uh, so Michael Caine is father to Nigel Havers' character Bob Michael Caine is Frank Nigel Havers wearing these big Joe Knightley glasses He's a linguist working for GCHQ and after there's been a a mole discovered at GCHQ who's imprisoned, um, then all the staff have been told to to grass up anyone who's acting suspiciously so it can't happen again. Dodson is the, the mole and you see him at prison and under sort of lie detectors and they're trying to find out who he is working for. Nigel Havers, on the other hand, he's beginning to sort of question the ethics and the morals of his job. You know, he's very idealistic and he's talks to Michael Caine a lot about his his doubts with his work. Michael Caine's a bit concerned because it should be, you know, he's not honouring the Secrets Act. But then later on, as there's a really good scene in it where 
they break Dodson out of prison. You know, he's he's been poisoned, and then they grab him in a car, put him in a car, and drive him out to the hospital. And then a van pulls up, pulls the pulls Dodson out, and it's the Soviets, and they've rescued him, and they take him to this hotel, and uh, they leave him in this hotel. They've changed his appearance. They leave him in this hotel, and then he phones his connection, only then to wake up later on again back in the prison cell and it's all been a big sting by the secret service uh, I thought that was clever and then they found out who the main guy is at this point uh, Nigel Havers is writing decided he's going to write write the book basically blowing the whistle on the sort of ill behavior of GCHQ and how we're sort of acting like the Americans and ineffically bribing and knocking off people in the way so obviously he becomes a person in the way and he dies. So Michael Caine picks up the baton, uh, starts investigating his son's supposed accidental death. So Michael Caine in this, actually, I thought it was a really good performance from him. He was a bit more sort of reserved and played it very relaxed and thoughtful. He was deliberate in his his portrayal and his character was very deliberate in its in his thought process and he was someone who's fought for his country in the past and so he had a lot of belief in the system so for him to sort of find out the more he dug the more how sort of he had been betrayed it's very sort of stiff upper lip acting a lot of uh, the, the actors are thespians and they're all sort of well-spoken English and obviously they're all you know, a lot of uh, higher class people from the higher echelons of society because the the main guy that the Dodson sort of target or Dodson contacted was played by Sir John Gilgood. To me, is always going to be the butler in Arthur, Dudley Moore's Arthur. A fantastic role, but probably not what he's best known for, I think. <laughs> but just what I know him for. Um... It was quite an interesting film. It was it wasn't too long, you know. It's just over an hour and about an hour and forty minutes, which isn't isn't too long for this sort of film, espionage. But it was there's no real action. It's quite a relaxed pace. Michael Caine, as I said, he goes about his business very calmly and collected in his thoughts, and uh, quite a modest modest movie really, um, based on a book. But Michael Caine, you know finds himself sort of stuck he doesn't want to be this revolutionary he says in the film he doesn't want to be a revolutionary but he finds himself having to be but he doesn't know how to be and he's face to face with all these hurdles which he knows he can't overcome um but yeah there's no sort of big action sequences and that is just really quite a really well made drama and uh, yeah i quite enjoyed it it's good to see sort of old britain Britain from the 80s, all the old cars, the old Vauxhall Cavalier that they used to break the guy out of prison, the old Rover that Michael Caine drives around in, which is, um, you know, they're so sleek and low profile, but about as long as a hearse of giant cars. But I can remember seeing those about in the old days. It's, yeah, it's lovely to watch old films like this. Um, yeah, anyway, that was the film. It was an all right film. Not something I'd choose to watch, but having watched it, it was quite enjoyable, quite easy to watch. And um, yeah, done, isn't it?
Okay, let's have a go at another selecting another movie. Right this time, let's see what we get. There you go. Got one. Right, it's a western. It's three ten to Yuma. Right, I've got that in here somewhere. It's not I think there's an original film of this, isn't there? This isn't the original version. This is Russell Crowe and Christian Bale. The best western since Unforgiven from director James Mangold. Now, I've heard his name. It says he done Walk the Line. Can't think what else he's done. Definitely recognise his name. Anyway, in Arizona in the late 1800s, infamous outlaw Ben Wade, Russell Crowe, plagues the Southern Railroad. When Wade is captured, injured Civil War veteran Dan Evans, Christian Bale, struggling to survive on his drought-plague ranch and desperate for money, volunteers to escort him to the 310 to Yuma, a train that will take the killer to trial. During the journey, two men learn grudging mutual respect, but with Wade's cold-blooded gang in hot pursuit, the mission soon becomes violent, dangerous journey where honour and loyalty clash with far-reaching consequences. The superb modern western comes from the director of the Oscar-winning Walk the Line. Okay, so, time for another western. Let's do this. Jeez. That was 310 to Yuma. I must admit that when I pulled out the name out of the hat, I was a bit quite pleased that I was going to watch another western. I'm sort of growing into them a bit. Um, through doing this series, I've watched a couple of the old westerns. Um, and I've got a few modern westerns to go through too. So, yeah, that wasn't a bad one to start with. Uh, the director, James Mangold, I was saying, I, I, I recognised his name from somewhere. He directed Copland. It's the other film that I recognise him from, which was one of those films. I mentioned it in a podcast previous. I think it was during our rubber podcast. But Copland was one of those films that I couldn't get into because... There was a bit of false logic in it that just didn't make sense and therefore I just couldn't get into the film. I'm a bit like that. Whereas this one here, there's bits of that, but not too bad. I mean, for the most part, it was a a great film from the opening when you sort of meet Christian Bale. Uh, The first thing he does is shout. Shouting! I do shouting! It's like he does in a, a lot of his films around this time. He liked to shout. Uh, but he's a family man. He's an ex-veteran of the Civil War. He's lost his leg. You see that he's lost his leg at the beginning, but you sort of forget throughout the film. Um, and at the end, he's jumping around with this like wooden leg on, as if it's his real, you know, better than prosthetic legs are today, you know? Amazing, really. He's jumping off of roofs and things and carries on running. You just think his leg would have just fell off, but... Anyway, there's a few bits like that that are nonsense, but apart from that, the story's really good. So, the premise of this film is the the father and the outlaw, two opposing characters, both affected by society and both with their own opinions of it and living their own to their own morals within the confines of this sort of brutal and destructive society you know society is changing everything is changing and there is a pecking order and you either choose to obey the law and get downtrodden or you choose to to go against the law and make your own laws 
as in the gang. You know, and that central piece is basically the basis for this film, which is the two characters being acted by two sort of great actors in Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. As I said, Crowe is not as authentic in the role to me as Christian Bale. And it's, it's, a sh- it's one of those people that I want to not like Christian Bale, but then as I watch him, I enjoy his performances more. He always does that, that John Connor, Bruce Wayne voice, you know, and it drives me nuts. But at the same time, he is, you know, the range he has is fantastic. And in this film, yeah, he is just equally as good. But they're the two main pieces in what is essentially an, an ensemble piece. With this party escorting Wade across the the Wild West, trying to get him away from Wade's gang and get him into the prison. And you, you understand that Wade, Russell Crowe's character, has a bit of admiration for Christian Bale, for his, you know, who's very moralistic. He's a family man and it's something that... Russell Crowe's character sort of admires so they over the course of the film they form this relationship but Christian Bale is trying to teach his son who's along with him the morals and Russell Crowe is trying to sort of show him what the world is really like and you know it really is a film that evaluates the wild west and it's you know there's the blurred lines of right and wrong you're in the shadow of the Civil War. It's the dawn of the railway. There's a lot of gr- corruption, greed, slave labour building the railways, as you see. And, uh, yeah, he's trying to keep his son on the straight and narrow. But at the same time, you can see that Christian Bale is also evaluating what's going on in the world and, you know, his place in the grander scheme of things. I actually preferred Christian Bale in it to uh, Russell Crowe. They were both good, but Russell Crowe sometimes he he seems to ham it up a little bit you know and in this he was good but he seems more like an actor than the character you know what I mean do you know what I mean Uh, whereas Christian Bale he fell into that role and you believe that he's that role and you believe you know he's quite an intense actor and you can see every decision he's making whereas Russell Crowe's character as the villain Ben Wade a bit more sort of painted by numbers do you know what I mean probably not but yeah Russell Crowe he's the sensitive villain you know he does does drawings he's got a thing for girls with green eyes uh, but he's the gang leader and he's sort of a, a ruthless sharpshooter early on he kills one of his own crew so you know that no one's going to stand in his way um, so there's a big sort of shootout at the beginning and they capture a stagecoach which is being protected by a Pilkington agent played by Peter Fonda, who's a bounty hunter. Uh, they they rob everything, but then they've used Christian Bale's cattle to stop this station wagon, and Christian Bale then stumbles across them. Christian Bale's sons sort of look up to their dad, but the older son is starting to doubt him, you know, thinks he's a bit of a weakling. Christian Bale owes money. There's two, a businessman called Hollander who wants to get rid of Christian Bale basically because his land you know is exactly where the railroad wants to come so he wants to sell the land to make you know make some money on the railroad so Christian Bale's son just thinks he's a weakling because he's not facing up to this man you know and they're getting their sheds burnt and what have you so as the story goes on then Christian Bale and Russell Crowe 
Russell Crowe is captured in the town and Christian Bale volunteers to go as one of the the party that's going to see him through to the train and also in the crew is the Pilkerton's agent Peter Fonda the doctor stroke vet who is nursing the Pilkerton's agent you got the railroad representative um, one of Hollanders the businessman Hollanders men he sends with him and Evans's son also trails along so you got this great story where they're all sort of going out into the wild west and you know just transporting him to the 310 to Yuma prison what I didn't realize as well is this is based on an old film I said 1957 film but Elmore Leonard wrote the original short story that this was based on now I know Elmore Leonard writes a lot of sort of slick crime thrillers he wrote the book that, that Jackie Brown's based on. I didn't realise he was writing that long ago and writing westerns as well. So it's based on his short story. A great story. A really interesting film. Really good. Nice, easy viewing. Sort of uh, uh, cinematography is this golden sort of western feel to it. Some great action sequences. Some great tense shootout scenes. Um but as I said, there's a few bits that you just think, why is that happening? Why doesn't Wayne just stop dead in the street during the final shootout? I can't quite believe that he's that ruthless, but then he would bond so well with Christian Bale and want him to get through. I don't understand. but And also the prosthetic leg thing was a bit of a joke. The way he's moving on it, you wouldn't think he'd ever lost a leg. You wouldn't think that he had a, a wooden leg that he's running around on. So it's quite a good cast. I recognise a few of them. The chap who plays the the lead member of the gang who's chasing, trying to get Russell Crowe back, Ben Foster, uh, plays Charlie Prince, the gang leader, was really good. The chap who plays the Doctor was really good. I've recognised, you know, he's one of them faces you recognise a lot, and I think he, pretty sure he plays like the, the Imperial droid in Star Wars Rogue One pretty sure that's how i recognize him not that you see him it's just a voice in that but i've seen the documentaries the making of it but yeah free tent of humor good fun good thriller nice easy viewing and another another western to get me in the mood for more westerns yeah quite enjoying the western so yeah they're new to me uh but yeah pretty good i liked it okay so four titles i sort of enjoyed them all but none of them are really like amazing so it's quite tricky to choose my favorite film this month none of them leapt out at me i mean 10 it was quite quite an enjoyable film a bit long for a comedy i like dudley moore it's nice easy watching as i said i was ill at the time when i watched that and it was a nice enjoyable film to sort of just chill out and watch whilst you felt a bit under the weather so like a, a nice sunday afternoon hangover film i'd say you know uh fanboys wasn't as great as it could have been got a little bit better towards the end but it was a bit predictable the humor was a bit toilet humor um and star wars nerdy jokes but not a lot of substance uh free tend to humor a gritty western quite stylish some great performances really great performances and then the whistleblower a bit of a, a slow-paced drama it was quite good watching that unfold 
But yeah, if I had to choose one at a pinch, I'd probably say that my film of this collection, the best one out of this collection, was 310 to Yuma. So yeah, that's what I watched in the past month. And hopefully I will be back a little bit sooner with the next collection. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you have listened, if you haven't, you wouldn't hear this. But we'll be back on Friday with another episode of We Need to Talk About Movies podcast with Nate. Thanks ever so much for listening and see you all soon. Cheers. Cheers.